It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon and, well, 2022 found room for one more great snooker story. Mark Selby winning the English Open in Brentwood uh, here this evening. Um, incredible uh, turnaround. Go back to January, the Masters, he lost and was very down, tweeted about struggles that he'd long since kept buried and finally was going to try and do something about. We didn't see much of after that last season. He took time out to work on himself, get the help that he needed. And also in doing so and talking about his mental health struggles helped a lot of other people, I'm sure. Um, and the season was started to play okay, starting to play well, but it had been a while since he won a trophy. 20 months, actually. Last year, in which he failed to win a trophy of any sort, was 2009. And it looked like that great run of winning one every year since 2010 was going to end. But no... He lasted the course. Sean Murphy should have beaten him. In the last 16, he missed a black. Would have been on the next red. That would have been it. But he didn't. Selby played so well in the second half of the match against Ali Carter. And in particular, of course, against Neil Robertson in the semi-finals. That was a classic. And then in the final, he was just a bit too strong for Luca Purcell. It wasn't a classic final, but it was an amazing story. Very emotional scenes afterwards. Mark and his wife, Vicky, both in tears. They're there with their daughter, Sophia, the whole family celebrating a triumphant end to what's been a difficult year. So, uh, hey, you know, these stories, <laughs> I suppose they happen at Christmas in a way, don't they? But it just shows what a great champion Mark Selby is. And as I said on the commentary, you know, his other family is the snooker circuit. He's very well liked by the other players, by the people on the circuit, because he's always been so friendly and down-to-earth. So a lot of people very happy for him. And uh, let's hope that, you know, he's turned a corner now, turned a page in the great story of his life. And into 2023, it'll be dangerous, won't it, at the Masters and all the other tournaments. Um, so congratulations to Mark. This is a short podcast because there'll be a much longer one coming later in the week. The Christmas special. Once again, joining forces with Nick Metcalf and Phil Haig from Talking Snooker. So the Christmas special uh, will be coming up. And uh, that will be later in the week. And who knows how long it'll be. Last year, it was too long, really. You know, nearly three hours. But... Um, I think we'll try and be a bit more manageable this year. But anyway, looking forward to that. So that will be available on all the usual offices. Um, and uh, no, that will be looking back on the year. But I think what we've seen here this evening, you know, was a very special moment. 
So to the emails, now we've had a few from people who've attended uh, in Brentwood and uh, we always like to hear the experiences firsthand of snooker fans. So we start with Stephen Mercer. He said, I've just discovered your brilliant snooker podcast and it's now my daily accompaniment, catching up on the back catalogue when walking the dog. Poor old dog. <laughs> having to having to suffer. <laughs> anyway, he says, I attended my first tournament at the Crucible in 984 when the embassy PR ladies were still handing out free fags to the punters. My mate and I saw Terry Griffiths playing Paul Mifsud in one of the early rounds. See, this is already, this is already niche stuff, isn't it? Paul Mifsud from Malta, yeah. That's a long time ago, isn't it? Anyway, he says, uh, I'm by no means a super fan, but I've visited quite a few venues, including the old Wembley Conference Centre, the Hexagon, Ali Pali, and the IS in Sheffield for the World Qualifiers, Crawley, Berlin for the German Masters, the MK Arena, the Morningside Arena in Leicester, and probably a few others I've forgotten too. Well, I'll be honest, Stephen, you sound like a bit of a super fan, but anyway. He says, you mentioned you'd like to hear about fans' experiences of the different tournaments and venues. So I thought I'd write and let you know my thoughts about the English Open in Brentwood, which I visited yesterday. I should mention I was born and grew up in Brentwood, so I was excited to see a world-ranking title event was going to be held there and immediately bought my ticket. Back in the 1980s, when the Brent Brentwood Centre was first built, local rumour had it that Barry Hearn refused to hold any matchroom events there because Brentwood Council wouldn't stump up the money to finance a dedicated road junction off the A12 for better road access. You'll have seen when you drove there, it's an absolute nightmare to get to during any major event because you have to come off the A12 miles away and drive through the town. It's way out on the outskirts, away from any facilities, and it's on the opposite side of town from the railway station. It's also funny you mentioned the snow, which seems to occur whenever there's a snooker event on there. As I recall going to see an exhibition at the centre back in the late 90s when Alex Higgins turned up late because of really bad fog. Maybe it does have a bad weather jinx. Anyway... To the event itself, it was one of the best days of snooker I've ever watched. After seeing the Hawk in the morning session, well, this was Mon this is Monday he would have gone, by the way. So he's, after seeing the Hawk in the morning session, I witnessed no less than eight world champions in action in the afternoon and evening. Robertson, Selby, Bingham, Murphy, Doherty, O'Sullivan, Higgins and Trump. All this for a mere £12 a day, all day ticket. I paid more than three times that to see a very mediocre match in a crummy seat at the Masters at Ali Pali. There was a packed audience for Ronnie's match and I was sitting next to a group of very enthusiastic and vocal Belgian Ben Merton supporters. What a brilliant atmosphere for a fantastic match. I did feel Ronnie was not giving the young lad enough respect early in the match, going for silly shots and not seeming to take it seriously. But the young fella held himself together incredibly well and the crowd really warmed to him. As for the Brentwood Centre as a venue, well, I thought it was average at best. There's plenty of parking and there was a catering marquee. Uh... The toilets seemed wholly inadequate, just two urinals and one stall for the gents, so I wouldn't like to be caught short during the interval of the final. But I'm sure there are others that could, they could open up. The rest was just standard sports centre fare. There's nothing wrong with that. The seating was OK and certainly not as cramped as Ali Pali, as long as you go for an early session in the tournament before seats become allocated. If you arrive early enough, you can pretty much get a ringside seat to see your favourite stars. The only other criticism I'd make is that someone must have forgotten to put 50p in the metre because it was absolutely freezing in the arena. Hopefully you might find some of all of this contribution worthy of inclusion. Thanks again for putting together the excellent podcast. Well, thanks, Stephen. And, uh, yes, well, the, the heating on the Monday did actually, I believe, completely break down. That's why it was cold. I think it was it got better, I think, as it went on. Um, but, uh, anyway, uh, thank you for your... Uh, it seems a, ma a main thumbs up. It's good that you, you had it on your doorstep after all these years. Uh, now, Mark and, and John from London, they're also there. Just time from a great day in Brentwood watching the English Open. Not the most glamorous venue and surrounded by snow. But as always, our interactions with staff and players and the quality of the snooker and your commentary made it a very enjoyable day. 
Sorry to hop back to the UK Championship, but we noticed something the TV pundits seem to have missed. There was much talk of the new format, and that seven of the top 16 went out in the first round in York. It was suggested the new format may not have helped them. However, when we look back over the last few years, it seems that to have nine of the top 16 players getting the last 16 stage is in fact above average. Here's a brief list of the number of top 16 players who reached the last 16 in previous years. Okay, so we have 2015-6, so there's a number of top 16 players in the last 16. 
Now, Brian Campbell, he says, on the latest 147 podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour, are there other podcasts? I didn't know this. Uh, it, was, it was mentioned in passing the players would like to see the misrule abolished. It must be a nightmare for refs in qualifying rounds and outside tables to reset balls when there's no TV image to refer to. Even when there is, it can take a few minutes to get a satisfactory outcome, which isn't great for the fans at the venue or those watching at home. Could a possible solution be, if the ref calls a miss, it's just an eight-point penalty with no resetting of balls, with the player who hasn't fouled either playing from where the cue ball has stopped or putting his or her opponent back in from that very spot. This may not be perfect, but surely an improvement on what we have. There's less stress on refs. There's still a heftier penalty for the miss with eight points conceded. The frame keeps flowing for spectators. What are your thoughts? As ever, keep up the great work with the podcast. Along with the Talkie Stuka podcast, it's really entertaining weekly listening. Well, of course, we're coming together later in the week. But um, I didn't hear this uh, this, this discussion, but uh, it's not true all the players want the miss rule abolished. I know that for a fact because they had the opportunity to, to change it a few years ago. It was put to a vote um, and various options were put forward and the players chose to stick with it as it is so clearly they don't all want to change it um in terms of your eight point penalty idea i mean it's uh it, it, it's uh it's an idea I, I guess if the penalty as you say was heftier then you know the, the players would be under more kind of um impetus to actually make contact the first time very often a lot of these snookers particularly if they're playing a sort of two cushion you know glancing blow escape the first one they're almost playing to miss because it's kind of a guide um they don't want to go veer the other way and catch them too thick um, so, you know, there's no actual great impetus to hit it the first time. Um, the referees, yeah, I mean, the the only issue really is if other balls move. If, if it's just the cue ball, it's not actually that difficult, really, to agree to where it was. Obviously, if other balls move and they start sort of dispersing around the table, then maybe uh, maybe that is more of an issue. But um, I'm not entirely sure it's true that all the players want to get rid of the, the miss rule. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure they don't. Now, James Cook, uh, he says, first of all, I need to start with an apology for various reasons. I'll spare you the details. I'm a few weeks behind on my snooker podcast. I just started to catch up today. To my disappointment, I not only missed your 25th anniversary edition, but also the previous one, where you asked for memories of the past 25 years. So sorry for not contributing. For what it's worth, my three, li- three highlights are. Now, we started one, which is 29 years ago. But anyway, <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind. He says, the 1993 World Final. I was in the Crucible to see Stephen Hendry beat Jimmy White. It wasn't a great match, he finished a session early, but it was amazing to be there to see Hendry lift the title. China Open 2010, or might have been 09. I was in the front row in Beijing to see Stephen Hendry play Ding. I think Ding won. It was a thrill to be so close, and I also had a brief chat with Michaela Tab, who refereed the match. China Open 2011, or 10, depending on when the aforementioned match was. I watched Ronnie live in Beijing for the first and only time against Robert Milkin, I think. Sorry to be so sketchy on the details, I suppose I could have looked these things up, but I thought I'd respect the snooker scene podcast ethos of doing very little or zero preparation. Well, quite right. Uh, finally, I wish you and all other podcast listeners happy holidays, as they say over here. And he said, I'll leave you with the skyline shot of Manhattan, which I took while listening to the podcast. All looking a bit grey, to be honest. Well, yes, it, thank you for the picture. Obviously, this is, a, this is an, uh, an audio service, but um, Manhattan is looking, well, as you say, quite grey. Ah... <laughs> uh, now, we move on, I think, to uh, Matt Tarrant. We're talking about a very, uh, a very important subject. This has not been addressed by other podcasts, as far as I know. It's about time it was. Here we go. He says, uh, down to the big question, why are so few bearded? Ra- why are there so few bearded ranking event winners? The Scottish Open final had possibly two bearded players. This is Gary Wilson and, and Joe O'Connor. When's a beard a beard? O'Connor's attempt is probably best described as stubble, but he didn't win. 
will seem as a more substantial effort, and maybe most people's eyes a beard. If there's a consensus that maybe the first ever bearded ranking event winner, uh, we might have to debate whether we can call Anthony Hamilton's facial follicles a beard. Certainly not a full beard when picking up the German Masters. JV, of course, John Virgo, sported a proper beard for much of his career, but how many ranking event wins? I haven't looked at pictures of every ranking event trophy presentation, but from memory, I don't recall... I don't recall a Davis or a Higgins or any other ranking event winner wearing a beard, so step up Gary Wilson and claim your place in the history of the game, unless any fellow podcast listeners can point out the example which has evaded my memory. Maybe a beard impedes the cue action for most players, and Wilson, due to the way he sights the ball, is unencumbered by his beard. Maybe my beard is why I'm not on the Pro Tour. Yes, I'm sure that's the only reason, Matt. Uh, he then actually found a picture... Uh, online of, of Rory McLeod, who did win uh, a PTC, not a full ranking event, but he carried ranking points. Uh, Alain Robidoux, of course, uh, was very much of the facial hair. He didn't win a ranking tournament. But uh, Darren Morgan, for a while, who also didn't win a ranking tournament, he sported a, a bit of facial hair. Yes, yeah, so you're right. I mean, you know, there's not, there's, not a great, uh, there's not a great history of bearded snooker players who've, uh, who've won tournaments. But um, Mark Williams favours stubble. I don't, like you say, though, the question is, when, what is a beard? What, what actually qualifies? I'm sure there's a beard podcast out there that could rule on this, uh, but it's not this one. Now then, Jennifer Best writes, Congratulations on your 25 years working in snooker. The anniversary spectacular was a fitting way to market and a thoroughly enjoyable listen. I have the recall of a goldfish, so it was lovely to hear all the different memories. I might not have a great memory, but what I do have is an irrational dislike of a couple of players, if you were serious about hearing about those. Well, absolutely. We heard uh, someone's nan the other week had a, a taken against Nigel Bond for, <laughs> for no good reason, it seemed. Didn't like Nigel Bond. But anyway, Jennifer says, the two culprits are Mark King and Stuart Bingham, and their crime is being photographed, bent over the table, in a state of undress. Stuart Bingham in his boxers, and Mark King in the scud. Not a phrase I know, but anyway. Uh, there's some things that just can't be unseen, and as a result, I tend to turn over when either of those two appear. I feel a bit bad about Stuart Bingham, as I think his pick was for charity, but he reminds me of an ex-boyfriend, so he's fighting an uphill battle. Having said that, there is hope, as I managed to watch some of his match at Meadowbank without too much discomfort. King, on the other hand, doubled down with his shirtless apology to Rayan Evans, which was as off-putting as his naked pick. Now, just on that, Mark King, I think the Times do a thing, sporting bodies, where they where they essentially will photograph a sports person naked. Very tastefully done, you know, it's the Times after all. Uh, but Mark took part in that, and then, yes, he, as he, he said something, didn't he, about the women's game, about the max, making a maximum, it was unlikely or something, and then got a bit of blowback on, online, so he, he recorded a, a, an apology, but there was, no, there, was no, uh, there was no shirt involved, no top at all. Um, and seems to have scarred Jennifer, at least. She continued, well, we'll come back to, we'll come, come to the rest of it shortly, but of course, uh, the, I remember years ago, someone had the bright idea, why don't we have, uh, you know, get these naked calendars, you know, the, the calendar girls, famously, and the, all sorts of professions now seem to have them. Someone had the bright idea of doing one in snooker, but uh, who would the 12 be? I mean, I'm not sure we want to delve too much into this, but who would the, uh, who would, <laughs> who would be Mr. Mr. August? I don't know. Um, I suppose there's a few candidates, but anyway. Um, it would sound from what you're saying, Bingham and King would not be on that list. Uh, let us know if you, you know, if anyone has any ideas about that. On, in the meantime, on the subject of the Scottish Open, there seems to be a lot of positive noise around the event, and rightly so. I wasn't sure what to expect with Meadowbank being a new venue and having heard some of the views on other venues. But it turned out to be a great experience. The venue was comfortable, great views of multiple tables, and plenty of food options either at the venue or nearby. 
Snooker seems to get a bit of a bum rap compared to other sports, but I attended the Davis Cup and the Billie Jean Cup at the Emirates in Glasgow in the last few months. I thought the experiences were equally enjoyable, maybe just a bit less razzmatazz at the snooker, which is fair enough. I bought the early bird ticket for the Monday and enjoyed it so much I came back on the Wednesday. See, that's good, isn't it? That, 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 the fact that you came back is that's very encouraging to know. Uh, between the two days, I reckon I got to see about three quarters of the top 20 for 40 quid, which for a league sport is exceptional value for money. I could have seen an extra couple of matches if I didn't have to get back to Glasgow at a reasonable hour. There's one thing that irked me slightly, though, and it's the amount of barking the referees were doing at the audience. I get it needs to be quiet, but continually berating the audience is irritating, especially when some of the noise was coming from outside the arena or from the playing side of the arena, e.g. the ref and the marker having a wee chat in the TV breaks. With four tables and matches rolling on and off, there will be movement in the audience, and I think some of the reaction was over the top, especially given audience members may have mobility issues and have already been sitting for hours and also were trying to be quiet. Maybe it's a particularly noisy arena, but that's not the audience's fault. The reason I mention this issue is I have friends who will watch snooker at home but won't attend a live match because they think they need to sit still for hours. I'd love to persuade them otherwise, but I don't really have the ammunition to do that now. Anyway, that issue aside, I had a ball and would definitely go back next year. Thanks for reading and best wishes for the festive season. Well, and to you, Jennifer. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes the referees, they can be a bit abrupt, I think. Obviously, they, they need to call for order. If, if in a multi-table situation on their match, if the next table is, is, is finished or they go into an interval, be movement and they you know they, they call for order I think sometimes it can be a little more politely done actually I do tend to agree with you um, because it's a little bit unreasonable to expect people to sit in absolute silence and also let's be clear the intervals are for the public they're not anything to do with the players or the matches it's for the venue to sell drinks to the public so therefore they're well within their rights to leave and, and to go and get refreshments people overwhelmingly try and do it quietly um, the referees obviously you know they're trying to keep order in their match so you can understand they want quiet maybe just little at times not everybody a lot of, lot of referees do it very politely at times it can be a little bit as you say abrupt and uh, well barking was the word was the word you used so i, I guess it's uh, as with everything it's uh, for the for the officials it's kind of a balance but uh, you know everybody there is is trying to uh, you know, the venue is trying to you know be as respectful as they can be it's a short podcast, as I say, because we've got the, the Christmas special coming up. But Callum Law, as I've been speaking, has emailed in. So I'm going to read that. I've not read this yet. There might be all sorts of uh, vitriol here. I don't think there is. Um, anyway, well, let's read it out. Just me emailing in the aftermath of the English Open. At the end of a strange year, it was great to see Mark Selby back winning a tournament again. Clearly this year, Selby has been dealing with a greater challenge off the table than anything he's ever faced on it. But on or off the table, one thing that's abundantly clear is that you never count him out. Selby is one of Snooker's great survivors and one of life's great survivors, a terrific champion. Would also for Mark Williams, it was great to see him make a maximum this week. He continues to entertain Snooker fans in his own unique way. In my opinion, Williams is the most entertaining player to watch. His matches are never dull, always played in a great spirit, and he remains arguably the most likeable player on tour. So much to look forward to in 2023, but he'll do well to top the storylines conjured in 2022. Thanks for all the great podcasts this year, and Merry Christmas when it comes. Callum Law. Well, thank you, Callum. It's very kind of you. And as Callum says, uh, you know, Selby has faced adversity on and off table and uh, has met the challenge on both occasions, hasn't we? I thought it was a very good tournament. People weren't sure about Brentwood. It's not the best venue. I think it's fair to say we heard people writing in about the sort of the limitations of it. But clearly Snooker's very popular there. There's a good atmosphere, lively atmosphere there all week. Obviously, it's day one began with Yambi Tower being suspended and, you know, very upsetting for all involved off the back of the other suspensions but to me it's 
dispiriting that these things are being investigated. But it's only a crisis if we don't have the correct procedures in place to investigate. And the fact is we do. They were suspended uh, very promptly. The easy thing for Jason Ferguson, the WPBSA chairman, to have done would have been to, to, to have just let it go this week and suspended him next week. But he took decisive action. And I'm sure that if there are charges to be met and punishments to be handed down further down the road, that that, that will also be decisive. Um, but ultimately, all of that gave way to a wonderful week of snooker. We had, as you say, Mark Williams entertained us. Plenty of players did. We had a lot of good snooker. The top players really seemed to thrive. You know, there's a lot of talk about best of sevens being a lottery. The fact is they're not. You don't seem to get any more shocks in that format, really, than any other. Um, we had a wonderful quarterfinal lineup, And in the end, we had a great story. We had a great finish to the year. It's not quite over, of course. The Championship League uh, has four days. That's getting underway. Groups one and two in Leicester. There's various platforms. You can watch that on. Check out the uh, Championship League uh, website. Matchroom Live in the UK. Free Sports has gone now. Um, it used to be on Free Sports, but that channel doesn't exist anymore. Um, but uh, anyway, so the snooker isn't quite done. But this podcast is for now. But as I say, we'll be back with Nick and Phil, assuming we can get all the equipment to work, um, which is not a given. So we'll be back, I think, Thursday or Friday of this week. So check out the feed later on. I'll put, I'll put up a thing on Twitter just to advertise it. Looking forward to that. They do great work. And uh, we'll be joining forces for the second year running in... Because uh, most Christmas specials you see on TV are, are recorded in July. But ours will be like Jules Holland's Hooter Nanny. It will be very much uh, uh, recorded in the festive period. I, I say that. I have no idea when he records that. Um, we won't have Ruby Turner on. That's one thing I can... can uh, unfortunately tell you but anyway thanks for your correspondence and uh, well if you hear this before about midday on monday there's still time to email for the christmas special <laughs> snooker scene podcast at mail.com that's snooker scene podcast at mail.com but that's when we'll be recording it so congratulations again to mark selby i thought that was a wonderful evening of snooker great story great achievement great champion but for now uh, as we always say until the christmas special goodbye bye Sports Social Podcast Network.